For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Before we get to the subject at hand, I just want to say a word in memory of uh, Norman Lear. You know, all know who Norman Lear is. He was the great pioneering um, TV producer who had the courage to put on the family and the Jeffersons uh, on the air. I don't think those programs could be shown today originally. You can see them in rerun, but um, they poked uh, such incredible fun at um, both at racism and at anti-racism. Um, it uh, was a very politically incorrect program, and there were some efforts early on to ban it. But Norman Lear was uh, uh, such an icon in, in Hollywood and in television that it had its run. It did very, very well. Um, Archie Bunker was the personification of the lovable bigot from Queens. And, uh, uh, you know, his... his uh, uh, son-in-law, a meathead, uh, Rob Reiner. Uh, they were just great, great, great characters. And, and his wife, who you know was ten times smarter than he was, but always appeared to be s- subordinate to to, to loudmouth Archie. It it was a great, it was a great, great series. I, I watched it um, every every single week, and I miss uh, that kind of comedy which we don't have today. Today, instead. We have the late night comedy shows. Now, let me tell you about the late night comedy shows. I could watch for six hours and never laugh and never smile. And neither do anybody in the audience laugh or smile. They clap. They clap. When somebody tells a joke, joke in question, quotation marks, that is anti-Trump, for example, everybody claps to show support for the politics behind the joke. But the joke isn't funny. And and when they laugh, they don't laugh naturally. They go, ha, 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 ha. You know, oh, I want to laugh because I want people to support the fact that this is a funny joke because it puts down people I don't like. There's just nothing funny about late night television these days. It's appalling when I go back and when I think about, I know I'm the old, good old days, when I think about Jack Benny, when I think about Milton Berle, when I think about Alan King, when I think about Woody Allen, these people made me roll in the aisle and they were politically incorrect. There are a few jokes that uh, they tell that I, I, I uh, I couldn't repeat. Uh, even on a podcast today, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to paraphrase the song from All in the Family in memory of Norman Lear, those were the days, my friend. Uh, and we thought they'd never end, but they have ended. We, we live in a much poorer time, in a time when humor is not respected for its humor, when it's respected only for its it's politics and it's um, political correctness. And uh, there's such fear, such fear. A friend of mine who's a, a president, uh, was the president of a major university in the United States, 
and I were talking about the presidents and their testimony the other day. And, and he made the point, I've made this point before to you because he quoted this many times. Uh, the one character trait that is not a criteria for being a college or university president is courage. I would add to that principle. Um, to be a university president, you have to be uh, ult the ultimate pragmatist. And it, it's, it's a job, a job I wouldn't take in a trillion years. You have to listen to the students and the loudest ones are the ones you listen to most. You have to listen to the faculty. You have to listen to the alumni, particularly those who give lots and lots of, of, of money. Um, how much money? We don't know because yesterday the president of Harvard uh, was asked by a member of Congress whether uh, she was aware that um, a foreign entities, foreign governments support the Middle East Studies Department, which is a scandalous department uh, at Harvard. It is in most, most major universities. Um, as you know, I'm opposed to departments like that. I'm opposed to uh, Jewish studies departments. I'm opposed to gay studies, uh, black studies, women's studies, Middle Eastern studies. But she was asked whether or not the Middle Eastern Studies Department gets foreign funding. And um, she pretended not to know. I mean, we all know, of course, it gets foreign funding. All of these major universities get funding from Qatar, particularly, from uh, Saudi Arabia. And they also get some Jewish funding, obviously, but nothing compares to the funding that uh, the sovereign nation, sovereign wealth uh, groups uh, like Qatar and the Saudis can, and Bahrain uh, could give to uh, to um, universities. And if you think they don't come with strings attached, uh, uh, forget about it. Um, and, 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 but she didn't know. She had, she, she had no idea. Um, uh, she wouldn't answer the question and she wouldn't answer most of the questions. Uh, and what she gave mostly were answers scripted by her lawyers. Um, I know the legal counsel's office of Harvard quite well. I've litigated against them. I've advised them over the years. I know where all the bodies are buried at Harvard. That's why I hope I'll be called by the education department as a whistleblower witness uh, against Harvard, because I know the secrets. I've uh, been there too many years, 60 years. And I didn't even go there as a student, either in college or law school. I would never have been admitted as a college student because I was not a good high school student. Uh, and I, I didn't go to the law school, though I got admitted to, uh, to the law school. And I went to Yale Law School instead, where the average grade um, um, was a C. Um, if you got a B, you did phenomenally well. And if you got an A, you were, you know, on the law review, uh, the, the top students. Um, uh, today at Yale and Harvard um, and, and many other of the Ivy League and other elite universities, A's are like getting A's are like getting candy um, on Halloween. Everybody gets an A. It's, it's like a trophy for showing up to the soccer game. Um, if you show up at Harvard and if you come to class, even if you don't come to class, uh, you're going to get an A. Uh, I have to tell you, it takes enormous talent today to get a B. You really have to screw up uh, at royally. Very few people get Bs, and if they do, it's a scandal. A B? Oh, my God. You know, uh, Today, the average, average at um, Harvard and Yale is 3.7. I had a 3.7 in both college and law school, and I was first in my class with a 3.7. Today, with a 3.7, I'd be in the middle of my class, or maybe the bottom of the class. Who knows? Everybody gets A's, and um, they learn um, 
nothing in some of the departments. Uh, that's why students are no longer taking uh, political science or some of the other uh, courses in which they are propagandized by by extremists often, uh, good students, smart students like my grandchildren uh, took STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, uh, grades are not nearly as high in those subjects because those are real subjects. And you know, if you don't really master uh, calculus, you're not gonna get a good grade in, in, in math. Uh, on the other hand, what does it mean to master political science. It means to regurgitate what your political science uh, propagandist has, has taught you about colonialism and settlers and, and uh, you know, you name it, postmodern this and postmodern that. Um, uh, you know, what we've seen is a, a diminution in the educational qualities of the schools at the same time a rise um, in, in, in grades and in salaries for professors. And um, uh, just an artificial, artificial um, lack of relationship between the quality of what's taught and the grades that that are, are given. So I mentioned uh, lack of courage. So we know from from what we talked about yesterday, and those of you who watched um, a lot of television coverage of these uh, three, um, I just wrote an article in which I called the three um, university presidents, you know, hear no evil see no evil, speak no evil. The three of them sat up there and <laughs> I have to tell you, even with uh, A's um, and great inflation, uh, you know, they didn't deserve C minuses. Uh, and, and President Gay of Harvard probably didn't even deserve a D minus um, for her failure to answer questions. None of them would directly answer the question, does advocating genocide against the Jews violate the rules. They weren't asked whether it violates the First Amendment. That's a complicated question. We're going to get into that. But whether it violates the rules of, of, of Harvard. Um, we know that uh, a student who advocated genocide against blacks or the raping of women or the lynching of blacks or the shooting of gays um, would not be accepted uh, to Harvard if he was accepted. His acceptance would be rescinded. I, I know I represented somebody at a, a major uh, uh, university that uh, just said something that was construed as negative about transgender people and his application, his, his acceptance was withdrawn. But has anybody's acceptance been withdrawn by what people have said about, about Jews? And um, so, so uh, President Gay refused to answer the question. Uh, and she got so much pushback that um, finally um, she uh, uh, issued like her 17th statement. Um, we'll talk about that in a second, but here's what she said finally. Let me be clear. You'll see she's anything but clear. But you can always tell when somebody starts by saying, let me be clear, it's unlikely she will be clear. So you'll see how unclear she was. Let me be clear. Calls for violence or genocide against the Jewish community or any religious or ethnic group are vile and have no place at Harvard and the, okay, have no place at Harvard. Now this is the unclear. And those who threaten our Jewish students will be held to account. Now, threaten is very different 
from calling for genocide against Israel or against the Jewish people or saying Palestine will be free from the river to the sea, free of Jews, or, or the Middle East will be cleaned, cleaned uh, of the vile, dirty Jews. That's really different from saying those who threaten our Jewish students. We know from yesterday that if a teacher in a classroom says, you, Goldberg, after class, I'm going to kill you. Okay, yeah, that's a threat. But is it a threat to say the world would be much better off without Jews? Was Adolf Hitler threatening the, a particular Jew? Was he threatening Jewish students at the University of Heidelberg or Berlin when in Mein Kampf, he basically said the world would be a better place without Jews? What he said to the German people was, if you rid the world of Jews, Germany and the Germans will be better off. Now, I advertised this class today as a seminar uh, about the meaning of the First Amendment. Now, the First Amendment actually distinguishes between direct threats um, and advocacy. Um, you can advocate under the First Amendment. Uh, mein Kampf is protected. Uh, a speech, you can say under the First Amendment, under the First Amendment, different from Harvard's rules. Under the First Amendment, you can say, uh, we think that the Jews of Palestine should be exterminated. You can say that. That's protected speech. It's vile, horrible speech, uh, as she said, is vile. Um, she, she acknowledged that. But it is protected speech under the First Amendment. The First Amendment to bring speech outside of its protection requires direct incitement of violence. Essentially, it means you have to be standing in front of a group of people and you have to incite them to do something violent. I had a case many years ago, early in my career, that was a cutting edge case on that issue. My client um, was a professor at Stanford uh, University, a Stalinist. And he he pronounced himself to be a Stalinist and a Maoist. He loved Stalin and Mao. He didn't think Marx and, and Trotsky were any good, just uh, Mao and Stalin. And um, uh, this was during the Vietnam War. It was when I was a, a, a visiting scholar at the Center for Advanced Study of Behavioral Sciences at Harvard. And I was asked by the ACLU to defend this vile character. And I have defended many vile characters. And uh, he was one of them. He got up in front of the computation center and he said, um, you know the computation center is used to help the war effort in, in Vietnam. And therefore, I think, I think it would be a good, a good idea. I think it would be good, a good idea if somebody were to take over the computation center. Immediately thereupon, students went over and took over the computation center and engaged in property uh, destruction. And so the issue was whether uh, Professor Franklin's speech um, was an incitement to violence or merely advocacy of violence. Now, Stanford is a private university, and they ultimately decided that it was enough to dismiss him. And he was the first tenured professor uh, fired um, uh, from a major university since McCarthyism. This was 19... 
71 to 3 the case lasted for 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 quite some time and ultimately uh, a resolution uh, was arrived at and he transferred and he went to Rutgers <laughs> where he continued to advocate uh, violence i'm sure if he's still alive today he'd be advocating hamas's position i have little doubt about that um even though i think he was jewish but you know so was norman finkelstein and and, and many other self-hating jews uh, and Israel-hating Jews. But the distinction between incitement, which is prohibited uh, by law and can be prohibited by law under the First Amendment, incitement, direct incitement, and advocacy, it's, it's a hard line to draw often. But the mere statement that Jews should be subject to genocide, if stated as a general proposition, or as a proposition about Jews in the Middle East and Palestine is protected speech. But that wasn't the issue. The issue is whether it violates Harvard's standards. Now, to see whether or not Harvard's standards are violated, you have to go back and look at what it's done to other people who have made other statements about other groups or what they would say about other people who will make statements about other groups. And of course, the school would never tolerate, never tolerate uh, statements uh, calling for the death of gays, uh, the lynching of blacks, the raping, uh, mutilating of women. Uh, they would figure out a way of making sure that that person was not part of the Harvard uh, a community. Um, and if that's the case, then the question becomes, is Harvard applying a, a double standard when it says that is not a dismissible offense if directed against Jews, it's only a dismissible offense if directed against others. Now, we know that Harvard as an institution has a double standard. The DEA program at all major universities, diversity, uh, equ equity, and inclusion excludes Jews. It discriminates against Jews. We know inclusion expressly excludes Jews, even if they're dark-skinned Sephardic Jews from North Africa, even if they're black Jews. They don't count. Uh, if they're Jews, that that disqualifies them. Um, if they're uh, if they're an African American who converts to Judaism, that they might be included, but somebody from North Africa, a Sephardic Jew, uh, would not be included. Nor would they be included in in diversity. Nor would they be included in equity. Equity is the opposite of equality. E equity is the opposite of meritocracy. And so the very bureaucracy that dominates the politics of so many universities, the DEA bureaucracy, until recently Boston University made professors swear an oath to accept, uh, not, it wasn't Boston University, I'm sorry, University of Massachusetts, a state university, um, made professors essentially take an oath that they support DEA and, and made people take sensitivity training in, in, in DEA. I have to tell you, professor, I wouldn't do that. I would fight them. I would not do it under any circumstances. I would never raise my hand and say I support DEA because I don't. I would never go to a sensitivity training uh, for DEA because I'm not sensitive to DEA. I'm against it. I'm categorically opposed to it. I would teach a class, um, not a for credit class, but like an after school class uh, as to the evils of DEA. But I'm not going to become part of the DEA uh, establishment. And uh, uh, and so let me go back for a minute to Professor uh, Gay's uh, let me be clear statement. This is about the 
fifth or sixth, let me be clear, statement she's issued. Um, day one, right after the horrible massacres, rapes, gang rapes, mutilations, beheadings, she said nothing. Then she was criticized. So she issued a statement which was a little bit worse than nothing. She was criticized. Then she issued a statement which was a little bit better than nothing. And she was criticized. So then she issued a statement which was not bad. Um, and then this happened. And she said that it depends on the context. It depends on the context. Uh, and as the Congresswoman said, is there a context in which calling for the genocide against the Jews is acceptable? She had no answer because her lawyers hadn't prepared her well. And she was not able to speak spontaneously about these uh, issues. Uh, nor were the other two uh, presidents. The president of MIT was the worst. She had no idea what freedom of speech is about. She said that academic freedom allows professors to say whatever they want in the classroom. No, it doesn't. You can't teach about race in a math class. Uh, you'll get fired if you do. There's no academic freedom to use a math class as a platform for propaganda. Uh, you can't chant in a class on philosophy, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Uh, no, you can't say anything you want in the classroom, especially if it's a required class and you're grading it. It's a big difference what you say outside the classroom. If you say something outside the classroom and I don't like it, I can leave, I can boo, and I can say, screw you. I can give you the finger. I can do it. I can't do that in the classroom. So there are different rules, President. Uh, um, in the classroom and out of the classroom. And you're the president of a university, a great university that specializes in subjects like math and science. You should know better than to think that a professor can say anything in the, in the classroom. But again, um, uh, presidents of universities don't get their job as a result of a commitment to principle, courage, and a willingness to apply a single standard. They get their job to raise funds, to keep the university quiet. Uh, I don't know whether any of these three presidents will survive. Um, they are certainly getting a lot of pushback. Uh, Harvard is not only getting pushback on its private funding, it's getting pushback from the Department of Education on its, on its public funding. And so we may see uh, some changes in the top of universities. You know, it's so interesting. Universities follow a tradition when I went to Harvard, when I went there as a teacher in 1964, every major university had the same president, the same president, all white, all men, all Protestant, not Boston College, Catholic, obviously, but I'm talking about the, the, the schools that were founded by Harvard, you know, Yale, all, all white male Protestants, wasps. Then there came a period of time where all the presidents were Jewish. Harvard had a Jewish president. Yale had a Jewish president. Uh, MIT, you know, it, it was remarkable. It's as if it's a cookie cutter process. Now, most of the presidents are women. Uh, many are women of color. And, and God bless them. I, I, I want diversity in the selection of presidents, but maybe a little creativity and don't just follow the pack. Uh, it, it seems like universities just follow and, 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 and pick the same, the same from the same uh, jar of, of, of contestants. Um, 
at any given point in, in time. But now what we have as presidents of universities are a bunch of cowards um, uh, with no courage and a little display of principle. Um, they just uh, want to please uh, their constituents. Uh, in that respect, they're like politicians. Well, of course, they're politicians. Uh, presidents don't get selected for their academic success. Often, some are. Uh, over the years, there have been some that have been selected because they're Nobel Prize winners. Or, But look what happened to uh, Lauren Summers. He was picked for the merits. He was a Nobel quality economist and the secretary of the treasury. And he got picked and he had the courage to raise doubts at a meeting about the politically correct view that there is no genetic difference between men and women when it comes to abilities and subjects like math. I don't know whether there is or isn't. I can tell you my wife, who's a neuropsychologist, PhD, thinks there very well may be uh, some differences, some which cut in favor of women, some which cut in favor of men, but men and women are different. Um, not according to the current political correctness of sex being on a continuum, but in general, in general, men are different from women. And some men have greater capacity in some areas and some women have greater capacity in, 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 in some areas. When I was a young professor, I hired almost all women as research assistants for a very good reason. The men all got high paying jobs. The people who are on the top of their class all got high paying jobs and wouldn't work for me for my $9 an hour that I was paying them. But the women couldn't get high, high paying jobs. So I get to, I got to pick the cream of the crop. I got to pick a future attorney general, a future this, a future that. And, and so I, I had lots of women as research assistants. Were there differences? I didn't discern any, but, uh, but Larry, Larry Summers thought there were some differences and he said it and he got fired. Um, I think I've told you about the cartoon that appeared after he got fired. He was on his hands and knees to the board of Harvard begging for his job back saying, I didn't say women aren't as good in math as men. What I said was Israel is a genocidal apartheid state. Now can I get my job back? Um, and so uh, there's such uh, politics involved in this. We'll, we'll continue to talk about this. Let's turn to some letters. Ah. Oh. Thank you. I was hoping you'd comment on the hearings. Uh, all of those testifying fell miles short of what one would hope to see and hear. They managed to remove any and all remaining doubt in plain view of their true mindsets, which is entirely out of the realm of honest intellectual uh, thought. Uh, I, I tend to agree with, with that. How much has the world changed in 60 years of your teaching? Seems far more for the worse not because of you, but despite your best efforts. No, I think in balance, things have gotten better. Um, when I started teaching at Harvard, there was real, real systemic racism at universities. Universities wouldn't hire black professors or women professors or openly gay uh, professors. Uh, things have improved. Now, my friend Steven Pinker has written a brilliant book, Our Better Angels, which claims that Many, many things are getting better over the years. In the end, the empirical data seems to support him, but I have my doubts about whether or not there are things that can't be measured that are not as good as, as they were. And, and, and Steve Pinker and I, we taught a class together uh, called Taboo. Um, we taught about subjects you can't teach about. 
taboo about race and gender and things like that. We had hundreds of students in the class. So I think a lot of students really, really want to defy the political correctness, but uh, the schools won't really allow them to. Just a legal question. If a criminal is being chased by the cops and suddenly grabs two young kids and uses them as human shields, but the cop opens fire toward the criminals and the kids are blown apart, are the cops guilty of killing the kids or is it fine for them to do it? Neither. They're, they're not guilty of killing kids, but it's not fine for them to do it. They should take every effort to try to prevent the shooting of the kids. Uh, and if they're negligent or if they're reckless and they shoot when they shouldn't, they could be held responsible. But for the most part, if the hostage taker, as I've said, is shooting and killing people and the police make the best effort to try to reduce civilian casualties but kill civilians, it's the hostage taker who's guilty. And obviously that's analogous to what's going on in the Middle East today. I wonder why, though, that I wonder why the Netanyahu office announced that the IDF had surrounded the house of the real villain, the bad guy, the head of the Hamas legal thing. He's not going to be there. He's not sitting there having coffee, waiting for the IDF to come and capture him and kill him. He's obviously running around in some tunnel or is disguised as a woman or, uh, you know, he's been helicoptered out and taken to Qatar. I don't know, but he's not in his house. You can be sure of that. So I don't know why, why the Netanyahu government announced that the house was surrendered. It's largely symbolic. And uh, I don't don't hold your breath that they're going to catch him. Um, okay, Professor Dershowitz, you're completely wrong about Ron Sullivan, the dean. Remember, he was the guy who was fired by President Gay when she was dean. Um, in the House system, uh, House Master is ultimately the person in charge of who the students go to if rape occurs. Remember, there were co-house masters, Ron Sullivan and his wife. She is a co-master, had an equal status there. So obviously uh, sh she could have rapes reported if people felt more comfortable reporting to a woman. We can be safe to say that there will not be murders. No, there have been murders uh, at Harvard. There have been murders at Harvard. Uh, I wrote a, an article about one that occurred. Um, young people are not going to feel comfortable going to someone who is defending and probably making ridiculous in-court arguments to defend a rapist. I don't agree with you. Any intelligent person should feel entirely comfortable speaking to a professor who is representing a rapist, just like you'd feel comfortable speaking to a professor who represented a porn star or a communist or, or Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden may get impeached, and if he asked me to defend them, I'm going to defend them, of course. Um, you don't judge uh, a professor by their clients, and so I fundamentally disagree with your point, but it's an interesting one. And I'm sure that may be the justification that they gave for firing Ron Sullivan, but it was not Harvard's finest hour. And President Gay was very much involved in the decision uh, to fire him or to not rehire him. Well, there's so much to talk about. I wish we had two hours uh, and uh, we'll have to wait until next Monday. And um, I hope that uh, by that time, things will be better in, in the Middle East and better at universities. And uh, in the spirit of uh, Hanukkah, which starts uh, tomorrow night, and in the spirit of Christmas, which starts in, in a couple of weeks in Kwanzaa, I hope um, everybody uh, sees peace on earth and goodwill to men and women. See you next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.